Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion, but we're going to cover some of the same text we covered yesterday. I just want to zoom in on verses 48 through 51. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and on an hour he does not know, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This does, with righteous brutality, describe God's wrath upon sin. It's describing someone who is not a Christian because they're cast where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because of the hypocrisy. So, Jesse, does that mean that like every Christian, whoever stumbles and sins, then is a hypocrite? The, it's a matter of repentance. If there's no repentance in your life, you're not saved. If you never feel like a hypocrite, then you probably don't have the Holy Spirit's conviction in your heart. Right? Self-righteousness, like we talked about Sunday morning, is a delusion. It's grandiosity. But conviction for sin, if you feel like a hypocrite, then go see our sermon from this past week and here's what you do. You confess right away. You repent right away. Establish accountability as you can. Don't worry about building up an artifice and putting on a show to impress people with your righteousness. Just actually be righteous on the inside. So when, when we read Romans chapter 7, we see Paul describing the simultaneity of the indwelling Holy Spirit that convicts him for sin and his sin nature. Like when I want to do God's will, there's my sin nature right there with me. Oh, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. He's describing the paradox of the Christian life wherein we have been called, we are being sanctified, we have been justified, but we've not yet been glorified. And the process of sanctification is not complete, meaning we still struggle with this sin nature because we've been sinful since the moment, you know, we were conceived. Like we have been born with a predisposition unto sin. Uh, I don't believe that means that infants are damned or the unborn are damned. I believe it means that we are born with a sin nature. And then Romans 1 describes how because of that, we will suppress the truth, knowing about the eternal power and divine nature of God, and then suppressing that truth so that we can get away with wickedness. And that's what's happening in this text. This guy is suppressing the truth of Jesus' prophesied second coming, and he is using it to get away with wickedness. My master is delayed in coming, and so he's just going to go revel, and he's going to go party. In Jesus' parables, he breaks away from the metaphorical imagery and then kind of snaps you back to reality in a way that is jarring when it talks about hell. We've seen this with the parable of the vineyard owner. We've seen it with uh, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. We see it when Jesus transitions from speaking about Met, is speaking metaphorically, in this case, about uh, a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give, uh, to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. That's a beautiful promise about the Lord using those who are obedient. If you've shown yourself trustworthy with a few things, you'll be entrusted with many things. That's awesome. 
But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed, starts beating his fellow servants, you can see how this kind of evokes some of the same things that he's rebuked the Pharisees for, how for generations they have slaughtered the prophets and now they're, they're killing him. Uh, but he says in his heart that, that his master's not coming, starts to beat his fellow servants and he eats and drinks with drunkards. That servant's master will come on a day when he does not know. He's describing someone who is unrepentant who just dis, basically disavows belief in the second coming of Christ. The princess bride, you've got like the grandfather figure and the little kid from the wonder years and the grandfather's reading him a story. And then when we're reading this, when he's reading the story, you go on, you see the action depicted through the actors and we enter this, this, this fantastic story world. But then we kind of snap back and you can see the grandfather's reading to the grandson. That transition back, is pretty jarring here. It's nothing like The Princess Bride. For one thing, because The Princess Bride is a, is a funny movie and it's fiction, it's literally fantasy. This is actually quite real and that's all the more terrifying because it describes the brutality of hell. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Wow, this is the work of God, my friend. This is God's work. This is the master who returns and sees the hypocrisy of his servant. Isn't that chilling? Isn't that convicting? Man, that makes me terrified for sin in my life. Makes me want to repent right now, right? All the time, all the time. I don't want to be counted among the hypocrites. God, forgive me where I fail. Repent right away. Get up, get back up and do the will of God. Wow. You can't skip this and claim to know Jesus. When I was a youth pastor, I had a young girl whose mom wanted her daughter taken out of our youth ministry because the text that we taught alluded to hell. I think it may have even been this passage. And that was just scary for her. So she wanted to put her daughter in a youth ministry that didn't teach the Bible. And we sat down with this mom and she said, look, I just don't like people talking about hell. And so I, I shared the passage with her and asked, what, what should I do? really? Like, would you rather me just pretend like this isn't here? And it became a really constructive conversation. It became, she, she reconciled with her daughter's uh, group leader and, uh, and was more willing to sit down and hear from the Word of God. She, the mom, really was the one who was willing to hear from the Word of God. I know this is not popular. I know this is not gonna, this is not going to, uh, this is not something that's gonna get a lot of shares on social media per se, but it is important. It's important as we've said over and over again at the Redemption Church, we, we know that when you omit the grace from the gospel, you're giving an incomplete gospel presentation, but when you omit the wrath, you're also giving an incomplete gospel presentation. It is equal parts grace upon sinners and wrath for sin. Yes, it's brutal. Jesus said this. He describes God as the one who cuts the, cuts the, the hypocrite who has been killing and beating his fellow servants into pieces and assigns him a place with the hypocrites. Because he's among the hypocrites, it means that he claimed Christ, but he didn't know him. He didn't believe in his second coming. So that's hypocrisy. He will, uh, he will assign him a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? We have snapped way out of the imagery of the, the servants, one faithful, one unfaithful. And now we, it's very clear, we're talking about hell here. Tomorrow's, uh, or in our, in our next, in our next passage, uh, we're going to go into a parable of, uh, a series of parables really for the, uh, the parable of the 10 virgins, parable of the, the talents, uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And that's, that is our Sunday morning sermon.
Would you come to church and would you come in person? All the more in light of this text, this also applies in Hebrews, all the more as we see the day coming, don't forsake the fellowship of the believers, the gathering of the saints. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of people to reach. Let's be found by Jesus to be about his business. Let us be like the first servant described in verses 45 through 47, right? Wherein he blesses us. He finds us doing his work and we're put in charge, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're put in charge of more ministry. I'll see you at church tomorrow in light of this text with a beautiful sense of urgency, my friend.